Because he is ultimately the, the cause of all causes. Cause and effect are factually one, because the cause is present in the effect. Therefore, the absolute truth, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, can destroy all our dangers by any of his potent parts. So there is no purport, and I will read the next two verses, 32 and 33. And I will just read the translation to save a bit of time. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, the living entities, the material energy, the spiritual energy, and the entire creation are all individual substances. In the ultimate analysis, however, together they constitute the Supreme One, the Personality of Godhead. Therefore, those who are advanced in spiritual knowledge see unity in diversity. For such advanced persons, the Lord's bodily decorations, his name, his fame, his attributes and forms, and the weapons in his hand are manifestations of the strength of his potency. According to their elevated spiritual understanding, the omniscient Lord, who manifests various forms, is present everywhere. May he always protect, protect us everywhere from all calamities. So now we have a purport. A person highly elevated in spiritual knowledge knows that nothing exists but the Supreme Personality of God. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 9.4, where Lord Krishna says, Mayatitamidamsavam, indicating that everything we see is an expansion of his energy. This is confirmed in the Vishnu Purana 122.52. Ekadeshastitasyagnaya Parasya Brahmana Saktis Tatiram Akilam Jagat. As a fire, although existing in one place, can expand its light and heat everywhere. So the omnipotent Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, although situated in a spiritual boat, expands himself everywhere in both the material and spiritual worlds by his various energies. Since both cause and effect are the Supreme Lord, there is no difference between cause and effect. Consequently, the ornaments and weapons of the Lord, being expansions of his spiritual energy, are non-different from him. There is no difference between the Lord and his variously presented energies. This is also confirmed in the Padma Purana. Namachitamani Krishna's Chaitanya Rasavikaha Pumasuro Ditya Mukto Vinatvanamanaminu. The holy name of the Lord, 
physical with the Lord, not partially. The word Purna means complete. The Lord is omnipotent and omniscient, and similarly, his name, form, qualities, paraphernalia, and everything pertaining to him are complete, pure, eternal, and free from material contamination. The prayer to the ornaments and carriers of the Lord is not false, for they are as good as the Lord. Since the Lord is all-pervasive, he exists in everything, and everything exists in him. Therefore, even worship of the Lord's weapons or ornaments has the same potency as worship of the Lord. Mayavadis refuse to accept the form of the Lord, or they say that the form of the Lord is Maya or false, but one should note very carefully that this is not acceptable. Although the Lord's original form and his impersonal expansion are one, the Lord maintains his form, qualities, and abode eternally. Therefore, this prayer says, Patu Savais Saruperna Sadavash Savasta Savaga. May the Lord, who is all pervasive in his various forms, protect us everywhere. The Lord is also present everywhere by his name, form, qualities, attributes, and paraphernalia. And they are and they all have equal power to protect the devotees. Shilamanbacharya explains this as follows. Okay, so first of all, I must admit I feel a little embarrassed that I knew the was here listening. So I'm humbly asking for some blessings here. I was hoping he would not come, but... <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so yes, first of all, um, we continue with the prayers for protection. And as we know, or we will hear, Indra receives this mystical mantric armor from Vishnu and in that way it empowers Indra to conquer the demons and enjoy life after that in opulence until the next fight comes. Right? So we can say this is somewhat the attitude of a devotee who is not pure, the Sakana devotee, you know, because we often, I mean Prabhupada was often saying that when there's a war everybody's running to the church, running. and then when the, uh, the anxiety uh, subsides, then everybody goes back to their pleasant life, you know. So and it seems really to me that Indra has this Mentality, and actually, not only Indra but all the demigods. We, we um, have so many pastimes where this is happening, when the, the, the demons are becoming too powerful, there's too much disturbance, the 
the demigods are in anxiety. So then they all went to the Lord and take shelter and beg him to do something. And then, you know, if the tension is alleviated, then um, they continue um, enjoying their opulence. So, and yeah, the purport in verse is actually very similar to that what we discussed yesterday. In essence, really, that yes, the Lord is supreme, everything comes from Him, He is the source of everything, He, he expands Himself in so many uh, manifestations and energies and potencies, and actually everything, He is there everywhere. Yeah. And actually we can say, throughout, throughout the Bhagavatam, this is again and again established in so many parts of the Bhagavatam. Also in Bhagavad Gita, Aham Savasya Pavavu, Pavatate. So that even gives us um, the purpose why this is again and again established. Being that we finally surrender unto the Lord. That verse says, I am the source of all spiritual material worlds, everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly knows this engages in my devotional service and worships me with all their hearts. That is actually the essence why this is just again and again and again. You know? And also, we can, in so many purports, we can see how Prabhupada is taking every opportunity to make some comments about the Mayavadis, you know, even in this purport also, that the, their understanding is false and cannot be accepted, and then, then. because, yeah, very clear, Mayavadis, if there's no personality, then no need to surrender to anybody, no need to serve anybody, right? So it is basically, you know, stress so much just to bring us to this point of surrendering and serving and understanding, yes, Krishna is everywhere, he is everything, everything comes from him. He is eternal reality and I better um, worship him and serve him. <coughs> so now since, um, you know, yeah, on a little comment, you know, that it is also like yesterday, it was also, um, uh, I pointed out that because the Lord's decorations and paraphernalia are non-different, we can pray to them and we can worship them. And yes, we, we also often do this, you know, that actually some, some jewel that the deities were wearing, that's Mahavshara. We can put it on our altar. We can worship it. Right? Yes. Very often uh, we actually do this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, but since this whole chapter is targeting this topic of prayers for protection, I'd like to focus a little bit on the highest form of protection. Because 
as a rule, because we are so attached to our bodies, you know, whenever we pray for protection, it is usually uh, we are thinking of protecting the body. But the body, you know, Krishna may or may not protect the body, because the body will ultimately be destroyed anyway. So that is not the highest form of protection. Actually, the highest form of protection is remembrance of the Lord. Yes. That's good to remember. <laughs> that that is really the highest form of protection. Because that's what will save us at the moment of death. To remember Krishna. Right? And Krishna says in 8.5, so, if you remember me alone, then you will surely come to me. So, to remember Krishna alone, not so easy. Not so easy. Yes. This requires some intense preparation. And I guess that's why we also hear again and again the instruction. Krishna says, you know, focus your mind on me, think of me, you know, again and again. Or we have that instruction, I think Padma Purana is, you know, to the, the highest rule in devotional service is to always remember Krishna and never forget it. And all the other rules are simply meant to be servants of that rule. Because that is really the main and foremost thing we um, have to somehow cultivate and we hope that at that moment of death we will remember Krishna. But also it is interesting to understand that actually it is not in our hands. You know, we have so Krishna says, from me comes knowledge, remembrance and forgetfulness. So there we have it. Actually Krishna uh, has to kindly appear on the level of our minds. It is up to him whether we can remember or not remember. It is not in our hands. We cannot force our way into transcendence. It is simply up to Krishna's will. And in this regard, I have, I have a couple of nice stories which really illustrate this, that it is not in our hands. You know, like in Ukraine, I know one Mataji, she's been, you know, 20, 25 years in Krishna consciousness. So, and some years ago, before the war started, long before, um, she had a stroke. And she was paralyzed on the right side, which means left side of the brain is damaged, which means remembrance, speech, everything gone. Completely gone. You actually forget everything. It's like deleted from humanity. So, and then, if one is lucky, it gradually comes back as the brain recovers. So then later, when she could speak again, I asked her, so what was it like 
that time where everything was gone because she, she didn't even know her name anymore. Well, you see, everything was deleted. She couldn't remember her name, she couldn't speak a word of Russian, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everything was gone. So when I asked her, so what feeling was it? You know, I mean, you imagine you know, having a complete blank brain there and you cannot remember even your name. You know, I mean, this is quite an unusual situation. So I asked her, and she gave this interesting answer. She said, yeah, it was a little bewildering, but actually there was one thing I could remember. And that was the Mahamantra. And I was just chanting in my mind the Mahamantra. And I knew I would be okay. And I thought that was remarkable, you know. If a person can't even remember their own name. But the Mahamantra, they can remember. That was the only thing she could remember. I mean, from a medical point of view, this is a complete mystery. You know, how a person can nevertheless remember the Mahavacha. You know? yeah, so I thought this was really amazing. And then there's another little story similar to this. One Prabhupada disciple, one Madhuji, her name was Isha, Mother Isha. She also had a stroke, and that remembrance didn't come back. And unfortunately, you know, there was nobody really who could take care of her. She ended up in the nursing home. But one thing was, she was just singing the Mama Mancha through the corridors of the nursing home, constantly. <laughs> she, she couldn't remember anything, you know, but she was just singing all the time. And she was known to be, oh yeah, the lady that changed the Hare Krishna song. Yeah, yeah, she is in room number so and so. So now, Naranja Swami told this story because Mother Isha, she was like the senior Madhuji in the temple in Boston when he joined there, when he was a Brahmachari. And he was saying to me, yes, Mother Isha, she is my mother in Krishna consciousness. So he felt really sorry that she ended up in this nursing home. And he thought, okay, let me go and visit her. So he drove in America there quite a few hours, three, four hours, to catch her the place where she was. So and then when he met her, she couldn't remember him. She couldn't remember nothing. You know? And Marge was sharing how initially he was a little disappointed. He was trying to tell her. You remember Ranjan? I'm the Ranjan, you remember me? But she couldn't remember anything. All she was doing this was singing the Mahamantra. <laughs> and then Marge came to this conclusion. Actually, whether she remembers or me, doesn't matter at all. The main thing is she remembers the Mahamantra. <laughs> and that she surely did. She was singing at the holiday. Yeah, so <clears throat> these are nice little, um, nice little examples how actually Krishna, by his sweet will, you know, he appears in the form of the holy name on a devotee's mind.
even though the person might not remember anything and we can even say, well, it's a blessing actually if all this nonsense is deleted <laughs> and all the unnecessary things we forget. What a blessing! Yeah? The only thing we have to remember is the Mahamantra at the moment of death. Yeah, yeah so uh, nice little examples. You know? And then also I had an example, this was when I was just, I had just joined, I was only about six months in the movement or something. And I had to get some tiny little insignificant surgery done that they put me in a quick anesthesia. And I had heard, yes, you should remember Prisha. So I was thinking, okay, let me put this to a test. Let me remember Krishna at that moment when you fall unconscious. But I didn't remember Krishna. <laughs> and I was afterwards really shocked. I thought, wow, you know, this, this was not such a perturbing situation. You know, it was just a minor little surgery. And I didn't remember Krishna, you know, because I was a very new devotee at that time, and Krishna did not appear within my mind, you know. So it is not all in, in order actually in our hands. It is actually Krishna's way, how he reciprocates that with his sincere devotee. So, in regards to uh, remembrance, there is in Chaitanya Bhagavat a nice little um, section where this importance of remembrance and it's a very different kind of a prayer than what we are uh, reading here. You know, there it says, one should not desire to be elevated even to a place in the heavenly planetary systems if it has no propaganda to expand the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. No trace of Vaishnavas, pure devotees of the Lord, and no festivals for spreading Krishna consciousness. It would be better to live perpetually cramped within the airtight bag of a mother's womb, where one can at least remember the lotus feet of the Lord than to live in a place where there is no opportunity to remember his lotus feet. I pray not to be allowed to take birth in such a condemned place. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that makes the point strongly. You know, better to be cramped in the airtight bed uh, in the womb of a mother, where at least, that's how it says in the Bhagavatam, that we do remember the Lord there and we regret and oh, hopefully this will never happen again that I'm taking birth again. You know? So better that than some situation with um, heavenly pleasures or something where there is forgetfulness of the Lord. Actually, you know, because it says here um, that this can protect us. Yes. May he always protect us everywhere from all calamities. So we can really say the biggest calamity is forgetfulness of Krishna. That's 
the biggest calamity. And in that regard, we also have a nice prayer of uh, King Kuleshekar in the Mukunda Madhastatra. My dear Krishna, please help me die immediately. <laughs> very, very different than what we are reading here, you know. Please help me die immediately so that the swan of my mind might be encircled by the stem of your lotus feet. Otherwise, at the time of my final breath, when my throat is choked up, how will it be possible for me to think of you? Yeah. That should be our biggest fear, that we will not be able to remember Krishna. So, and that's why he prays, let me better die right now where I'm not an invalid and, and facing so many um, bodily uh, disturbances. So at least then I have a better chance to remember. Yeah. So, but then also, um, there is a nice explanation in the 11th canto. What happens when a devotee by external circumstances, may not be able to remember the Lord, you know, because one may live in such a way that, oh, yeah, external situation will not allow us to nicely focus. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm always afraid of, to leave my body in such a situation where I don't get the chance to focus. That's why I personally think cancer is a good way to leave one's body because one gets a good warning and one can't really let go of all kinds of luggage and you know think where do I want to leave my body what devotees do I want to surround myself to help me and 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 this is great this is the greatest blessing yes not truly I'm not just saying it you know but <laughs> so but in 11th, Kento 7th, chapter verse 6, we hear in the purport. Shalavishvanas Chakravati Thakur comments, Those great souls who have surrendered unto me are always equipped with transcendental knowledge and detachment from the material world. Sometimes, being busy in their devotional service, they may appear to forget me. However, a pure devotee who has achieved the platform of love for me will always be protected by such sincere devotion. Even if such a devotee should suddenly give up his life while neglecting to fix his mind intensely on me, such a devotee's loving feelings are so powerful that they afford him all protection. Even if there is a temporary moment of forgetfulness, such devotion will bring the devotee to my lotus feet, which are beyond the vision of ordinary materialistic persons. So, very nicely explained, Jana, that even if there is a moment of forgetfulness, never mind. Again, Krishna, Jana, will do. He will, he will appear and, 
and the devotion of the devotee will connect him with the Lord anyway, and that will um, you know, uh, appeal. Krishna is, is attracted by the devotion of the So, but again, we can't just say, okay, so it looks like I'm safe, I don't have to endeavor that much. Krishna will do, even if I am forgetfulness. No, no, as it very nicely says here, it is actually all a matter of relationship. It is all a matter of relationship. Because, you know, it says, such devotees' loving feelings are so powerful that they afford him all protection. So, you know, first of all, we have to get there that our loving feelings for the Lord are really so powerful. Because that's ultimately what we are tested in at the moment of death, which relationship is most dear to us. Yeah? Is it really our relationship with the Lord? Or is it our relationship with our husband, wife, child, grandchild? You know, often the grandkids are the main um, charming attachment then in older age that people get also affectionately involved and attached to the grandchildren. So, if there's any other relationship which is more important so our relationship to Krishna, with Krishna, well, then we have to do another round in the material world and finish off this more important business. You know, it's a very subtle thing. You know, so that's why the relationship with Krishna is so, um, yeah, so so crucial that we develop that. And of course, you know, in the pure port again. It is hinted at the holy name, or not hinted, but mentioned. The holy name of the Lord is fully identical with the Lord, not partially. You know, so, how do we develop this relationship with Krishna? Of course, by chanting his holy name. And if we really think about it, that Krishna is really non-different from his holy name, this is quite amazing, actually. This is almost mind-blowing. Yeah, of course, we've heard it all so many times and we repeat it, but to actually realize it is a whole different story. You know? Because, yeah, Krishna, by his unlimited mercy, he expands himself into the material world through his holy name. And it is said, changing the holy name gives the same benefit as meeting Krishna face to face. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Because we all know how important association is when some elevated personality comes, our guru or sannyasi or you know, we are all keen to get some association. You know, because we know it's so uplifting, so enlightening. And that same experience, that same effect, we can actually get by changing the whole you know. But yeah, our unfortunate position is 
that um, we don't receive Krishna in the form of the holy name with that same respect and attention and service mood and, and, and that's, that's our misfortune you know, that we often just Nishnishrama, we black on the holy name down, you know, doing this and that while chanting, driving the car while chanting, and so many things. Ooh, this is all, almost useless, that kind of chanting, actually. Yeah. And I mean, also yesterday, we heard about the importance of attentive chanting. So I, I want to expand a little bit on that more because I like to see attentiveness on three levels. Attentiveness on the level of the body, on the level of the mind, and most and foremost, on the level of the heart. Right? And Bhaktivinoda Thakur in Ayurnam Chintamani, he also um, uh, talks about this. You know, in attentiveness on the level of the body, he calls laziness and sleep. Then in attentiveness on the level of the mind, he calls distraction. And in attentiveness on the level of the heart, indifference. And this is our main problem. And of course, body, mind and the heart, they affect each other. It all starts on the level of the body and mind. Otherwise, there's no talk about the heart, you know? So unless we have this habit of chanting while doing other things, then the mind will be distracted and the heart will be completely somewhere else. You know? So it all starts on the level of the body. Mind, yeah, is a challenge. But also, <clears throat> His Holiness Sachinanda Swami Maharaj very nicely explains that we should not get caught up in a boxing match with the mind, which is a nice way to put it, you know, because very easily we do that, you know, the mind wanders, okay, bring it back, mind wanders, bring it back. Yes, sure, we have to bring the mind back, but the secret is to involve the heart. Unless we involve the heart, we just remain on this boxing match level with the mind. You know? But once we involve the heart, then we have more chance that the mind is actually drawn to the heart. Because the heart is involved. You know? So I like in the regards to chanting, because I do like to conduct holy name retreats and make a chakra down over Christmas, I usually do it, it's a very nice experience. So, I always like to emphasize two main points. Um, the first one being relationship. We have to really deep in the heart, mindfully turn to Krishna and call out to him with that mood Krishna, I know you are there, please accept me. Because who do we think we are that we so easily are accepted by Krishna? There has to be a longing there. Yeah? Rupa Goswami, Gloria. There's a longing for Krishna. 
with that longing for Krishna, for the relationship. That's how we have to chant. Or as we know, the child crying out in desperation to his mother. Yeah, there has to be some desperation, some longing, some intense longing for the relationship. And in order to do that, we really have to mindfully turn towards Krishna when we chant. And already that can easily be missed. You know? Very easily we can completely cut Krishna out of the picture. In our so-called Krishna consciousness, we can easily cut Krishna out of the picture completely. You know? We keep ourselves busy with so many planes and projects and ambitions and running, running, running. And then, hey, what are we doing for my relationship with Krishna? Because that's the only thing we will be able to keep at the moment of death. Everything else completely unimportant, insignificant. It doesn't matter how much we did and how well known we are and this and that. No significance, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Simply curtain closes, show is over. And the only thing we are allowed to keep is my relationship with Krishna. And very easily there may be some lamentation. Oh, again I blew it. I put so much effort in so many things. But not in this relationship with Krishna. So I, this is what we do when we change. That's when we do something for this relationship. But only if we might fully turn to Krishna when we change. But if our mind is so busy, what we all have to do and planning and this and that, you know, if our job at time is a plan making session, then absolutely nothing will happen in our relationship with Krishna. We have to really turn towards Krishna when we change. And then the second secret is what, what means attentiveness on the level of the heart. So mindfully turning to Krishna is the first one. And then not only longing for the relationship, but longing to serve. Actually, ultimately, this should be a devotee's mind and foremost prayer. Yeah. Longing to serve. Longing for the relationship, longing to serve. So, and whether Krishna protects us from this calamity or that calamity, you know, it, it should not be of the greatest concern, actually, at least if we strive for pure bhakti. All we want is, you know, connect with Krishna and serve. And whatever situation we may be finding ourselves, you know, yes. And that longing to serve, that establishes us in our constitutional position of Dasya. You know, it's actually very simple and logical. If we spend two hours every day turning mindfully to Krishna, Krishna, I know you're there, please accept me, I need this relationship, I want this relationship, then surely something will happen in our relationship with Krishna. It will become tangible reality. Right? Very logical and simple. And in the same way, if we long to serve for two hours every day, or two and a half, or whatever it might take to ask to change, so then 
ultimately sooner or later we will come to the point where we get it. I'm servant. Right? I'm not enjoying the controller. I'm servant. Right? So that establishes us in Dacia, which is the foundation to all other vices. You know? Because Sakya includes Dacia, Vatsalya includes Dacia and Sakya, Madhurya includes Sakya, Dacia, Sakya and Vatsalya, and plus Madhurya. So Dacia is the foundation for everything. So unless we are established in Dacia, Krishna will also not reveal you know, anything further if there is something else in our eternal relationship than Dacia. Krishna will not reveal as long as we are not firmly established in Dacia. Yeah. So yes, these are the main you know, two aspects, what it means to be attentive on the level of the heart that we really mindfully turn to Krishna and we change longing to serve. Right? And Siddhanta Saraswati Thakuri makes this heavy statement. He says, chanting which is devoid of longing to serve is useless. Wow. We might have done a lot of useless chanting in our life, you know. Certainly I have before I heard all these things, you know. I, I definitely, you know, have done uh, useless changing. And it is useless because it will not establish us in Dacia. It will not free our heart from all these upadis and false designations. That's why it's in the ultimate sense useless. Yeah. I like Satyananda Swami Maharaj has this nice comparison. He calls chanting, which with, without turning mindfully to Krishna, he calls that empty medicine capsule. That also says everything. You know? From outside, it looks like the real thing, you know, a capsule, a vegetarian capsule, of course, no gelatin capsule. So you can open it up, and usually there should be some medicine inside. But if we chant, not deep in the heart, mindfully turning to Krishna, calling out to him, empty capsule. No result. Yes? Yeah. It's good to, good to clearly understand it. I mean, really, when I look at my own spiritual life, probably the first 20 years of my devotional service, I took empty capsules. Because somehow I, I never heard and understood anything about this. Yeah. So yeah, that's one reason why I usually like talking about chanting the Holy Name. It may save some of your time <laughs> that you, know, you don't walk around taking empty capsules for 20 years until you finally hear something about this. You know? <laughs> yeah, so that's the whole point, you know, remembrance is the highest protection that Krishna protects our remembrance and remembrance is not in our hand, he has to, um, by his sweet will, appear on the level of our mind and he will show 
if, if we have built a relationship, if our loving feelings are so intense, you know, even though due, due to external situations we may not be able to fix our mind on them. But then he will, because he is a person, you know, he is not so cool to say, oh, too bad, you know, you didn't remember me, you know, bad luck. And I mean, maybe I should share one last nice little thing which makes this point how remembrance is really the highest protection. Um, there is this nice little story uh, which is described in the book Legacy of Love about the Dini Maharaji was a Prabhupada Sadhu and she was serving in one of the North African countries, was it Libya or something? One, some, one of these countries. It was in the, I think it was in the end 80s or, or beginning of 90s, I remember hearing that she got shot being there in, in Libya. You know? And the situation was that there was some um, yeah, some, how do you say, you know, some, somebody uh, turned over the government and, and uh, there was a whole riot situation and, and that and there was some of these revolutionaries, they were shooting and this one was also becoming a target. So she was preaching there and Bhakti Tirtha Swami told her, Get out of there, leave the country, too dangerous. But she said, how can I leave? Yeah, but all the devotees are here, I cannot just go and leave them. So she stayed. And then the situation was becoming more and more dangerous. And the devotees, the local devotees there, all had looked for their hiding spots. Just in case somebody would storm in with machine guns. So everybody had their hiding spots behind the Vyasa sun, underneath the Vyasa sun, behind the altar, this, that, you know. But then the Dini Maharaji, she didn't worry about it, you know. So and then sure enough the day came when these, uh, I don't know what's the right word for them, these revolutionaries stormed into the temple with machine guns and were threatening everybody. And, yeah, I think they shot a few people, but the women they were uh, taking as hostages, so to speak, and they were demanding that they would marry these revolutionary guys, you know. So, and then, some women actually agreed to that, just to save their life, but Ladini, of course, not. And they took all the men on the back of a truck outside the city to shoot them. So and at that moment when they were raising their guns to shoot the men, Ladini Madhuji threw herself in between and attacked them with her fists. You know? Yes. That's how courageous she was. You know? But then they shot all the men and they shot her as well. And his holiness Radha Swami in that book writes a nice little comment 
about this because one may say, what is this? Why didn't, what is she a protector? You know, what is this? And you may even lose faith, oh, maybe Krishna doesn't exist, he didn't come and protect her with humanity, you know. But Radha Swami writes a nice little thing which I will quickly read to you to finish the class. She knew 100% that she would die, but better death than standing by and watching another devotee offended. That was her realization. She was one small woman in front of about 20 men with machine guns. They opened fire and killed her. Glorious death. She didn't try to hide. She wasn't even ready to leave when she was told to leave. To her, it was an offense to walk away when devotees were being harmed. That is fate. She has gone back to God as far as most of the senior leaders of our society are concerned. And she left behind a wonderful lesson. It is said that Krishna always protects his devotees. One may ask, why didn't he protect her? But I have to reply that Krishna did protect her. Here we have it. At that time of her final exam, she had complete faith and confidence in the Supreme Lord's mercy. She was willing to give her life to personally serve other Vaishnavas. The fact that she could maintain that consciousness even under such unbelievably difficult circumstances is a greater type of protection than protecting our body. Krishna may or may not protect our bodies, but eventually we have to die anyway. If she had just lived until 90 years old and died as an old lady, we would not remember her the way we do today. Krishna protected her. At the most difficult time, when, her, when your faith and conviction is tested, she got A+. Plus. She stepped forward as the servant of the Vaishnavas. Very nice. Hmm? Nice explanation of what is the highest form of protection. Okay, so let me end here and see if anybody has some comment, question, correction. Devotees who commit other offenses to other devotees, will they be protected? Well, who am I to say? <laughs> that's, that's simply up to the will of the sweet Lord, you know, or sweet will of the Lord. So, but one thing is, you know, we do know, you know, Krishna doesn't so easily tolerate everything. Offenders devotee. The devotee himself or herself may tolerate, but because the devotees are so dear to Krishna, yeah, especially as they become more pure, 
reminds me of the um, the degree to which the dividing is absorbed in you know the holy name, the the deities, um, their service, you know, and the, uh, it's mentioned how the uh, Ragat Mika Bhaktas, you know, the, the those like Yasna Shoda and Nanda, you know, the, the Ninja Siddha devotees, they're always absorbed in thinking of Krishna, even if they're putting rubbish out, they're doing it for, you know, for, for Krishna. And so, um, that that uh, absorption, you know, it's not something that you can, it's not something that you can um, decide on because it's, it's what's naturally, you know, in the heart. Mm. And um, um, that naturally evolves like, <coughs> in, in, in the meditation. If they're chanting Hare Krishna, even, even if the chanting is offensive, um, <coughs> there is no chanting. But, of course, you know, we develop that mode of absorption through our chanting, which is, I think, what you were indicating. But um, uh, uh, my question is, what's the mechanism? If, if we're chanting Hare Krishna, then um, that's a gateway to the absorption. So what's your experience in establishing that connection? Through chanting. Okay. How, how do you actually do that? When you, when you sit down, what's the how do you, what's your mechanism for connecting? So what's my mechanism for connecting? And also you were sharing, talking about the absorption. Let me first quickly comment about the absorption. I guess this is where Vanashram comes in because as long as we don't have a natural attraction to chanting and hearing to Shavanam Kirtanam, you know, we have to be engaged according to our nature. And naturally it is much easier to really absorb the mind when you do something which is according to your nature. Right? then it's easier to absorb. Like a person who is a, a Vaishya type person, he will get absorbed in making money for Krishna. But if he has to stand all day on the altar there doing adhis, because it is not, not his nature, will be more difficult for him to absorb himself. So that's my understanding, that that's why in the initial stage, 
it is so important that we are engaged according to our nature, simply because of that, that we can more easily absorb ourselves. But then as we become beautified, you know, because when we get closer to death, we will not be able to do our activities. We will get to the point where this is all taken off us. And I have observed this many times, that when a devotee has not really made effort to build up some deeper internal life, then when there's some big health crisis coming, and you cannot serve anymore, one may fall, fall into a complete hole, into a vacuum, you know? And then there's depression there. Oh, now nobody needs me anymore. I cannot serve anymore. Then we have nothing to fall onto. And this is, for example, also one point in my course about Vanapastasha, which I have put together, Vanapastasha that around 50 plus <clears throat> it's advisable to deepen up one's internal life. You know? Because sooner or later we, we will not be able to run all day and do so many things. We will not be able to have achievements, external achievements. We have to switch towards internal life. And better to do this before the body and the health forces us. Because if we um, have built up some internal life, there's nothing to fall back on. And I have observed this even not so long ago. One devotee in Germany, he was one of the big book distributor heroes for many years. You know, he was out there in book distribution. And then he got a really heavy disease. And yeah, unfortunately, he did not have much internal life build up and he fell into a complete hole. And he got really, you know, angry with Krishna, oh why are you doing this? And 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 yes, and he left his body in not such nice circumstances, unfortunately. Even though for so many years he had performed such valuable service. But <clears throat> you know, that's what can happen if it rather happens on the external level. And there's not so much internally uh, built up. You know. so, <clears throat> so that's about an absorption. But also, you're asking me, how do I do it? Well, as I described, I simply try you know, and be attentive, first of all, on the level of the body, that I don't do other things when I chant. You know, even jumper walks, I'm not as attentive, for me anyway, as when you're sitting down somewhere and chanting. You know. And then I try to involve my heart. You know, turning mindfully to Krishna, Krishna, I know you're there, please accept me, longing for the relationship. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And then sometimes we manage quite nicely, but then again the mind 
takes us. So again, he involves the heart and the heart. So and then we can also experience that some days we do it much better than other days. And usually those days where we don't do so well, it's when there's so many issues in the mind, so much we have to do and and and. <clears throat> so a certain level of peace of mind is required, you know. Otherwise it's too too difficult to really um, absorb and involve the heart and so on, you know. And the mind is just too preoccupied with so many other things, you know. Okay. My voice is getting a little croaky. I don't think I can say much more. <laughs> yes, it was it was a, a past time where um, I think the elephant where Prabhupada was a monument. Yeah, that was later. Um, Prabhupada was deeply absorbed in the Mumbai Jew. Mm. And uh, he was with Tanakrishnamaraja and Tanakrishnamaraja uh, was with Prabhupada and Prabhupada was chanting and then he just put his beast down and he said, I can't chant, my mind's too disturbed. <laughs> I can't. Just say, I never heard about that. And so, it's a dilemma because when you chant Hare Krishna, then naturally thoughts of service will arise. Naturally. Mm. Right? Because that's what we're praying to Krishna for. We, you know, when you chant Hare Krishna, you're asking for service. And service means you know, making plans. Usually, right? So uh, that's why that Brahman Buddha and that early rising mm. is important as, as a part of the sadhana. Is important for the Vaishnavas. <coughs> That's, you know, you've gone to bed to rest, you know, and then you wake up early at a time when it's naturally peaceful. Because as soon as the sun comes up, then, you know, this, that, the other thing. So, uh, um, as, a, as an antidote, if you like, to that. Natural accumulation of lists and plans and whatever—that's not bad because that service to Krishna. I was, I was, I was uh, reading uh, this in the ISKCON communications newsletter that comes out on a weekly basis. There's this lecture where Prabhupada says, "Make plans for Krishna, and he'll be very pleased." Right? But of course, it may be not you. <laughs> No, no, that's right. That's right. And that's, that's the point that you're making. Is that you know we're chanting, but that's the point where we want. That's the point where we're establishing that mood of surrender to Krishna and that mood of your servant, right? And then later on, naturally these things will come about as part of our our uh, sadhana. It's an extension, you know. Mm. So that's where the conundrum, because on the one hand. You know, we're told not to make plans while we're chanting, but by the same token, when we chant, then plans will come. It's mm -hmm. just, it's natural, and Prabhupada says that's the reason. 
So, you know, the antidote for, you know, good absorbed zappa is get up early in the morning and chant at a time when you can sit down and absorb yourselves in, in the holy name. Um, and, um, yeah, just keep at it. You know, you may not be successful also but every, every occasion. Huh? Yeah. But what, what I also find very powerful is when at least a few, at least once a year, we put everything aside and we go on our holy night retreat. Yes. I mean, the best rounds I can change is when I'm in that mood that I really say everything can wait. Nothing is more important than the holy name. It can all wait till Monday. You know? And I remember last year on near Jolly College, I was in Bangladesh, and there the whole community was driving for setting a goal, making uh, a rata, how many rounds you chant. And most people had 64 rounds, you know, and they, they, everybody put their vow on the board with the numbers. And first I thought, oh no, this, I don't like this so much, but then I thought, all right, let me join. And this was such an amazing mood, you know, and on that day I was really focusing on this uh, thing that I will not open my computer today. I will not do anything else, just chanting. And this was amazing. It was really a different quality of chanting. To just pack everything and just focus on the Holy Name. And the whole community did it. And throughout the whole day, there was always devotees in the temple and chanting. And then every now and again, one person was reading different little uh, things from the Java meditation book or some different books. Just, you know, two minutes to help us focus. <coughs> and it was such a nice moment in the temple room. Because often I, I like to also chant outside or something, but then when I went in the forest, I thought, what am I doing here? Let me go back to the temple room, you know? And it was really an amazing experience, amazing energy generated. You know, and because of this combined effort of really putting everything aside, parking everything, and just focusing on chanting, not using mobile phone for a whole day, you know, no phone, no computer. Chanting, holy name, is everything. There's this nice Sri Kabbalastika, So, I, I highly recommend to have such phases, you know. After that experience at Radhadash, I thought, God, I should do this every Ekwadashi. You know, because as traveling preacher, I could actually arrange my life like this. But unfortunately, I hadn't <laughs> since then, you know. But this would be amazing.
if if we could make such a you know such a sankalpa that we say okay every Guruji, we park everything else everything can wait nothing is as important as the holy name you know and with that approach we will not be distracted by so many claims and ideas and then the chanting is something different but yeah unfortunately unfortunately done it too many times but yeah it's worth worth to try and build that into one's life um, because sooner or later the time will come when we will not be able to make planes for devotional service you know? and then we have to have something to fall you know? okay thank you very much for your kind attention thank you Go, be